up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Rhythm and Bay Podcast. As always, I'm your host, who does the most, Jasmine Ellis. And I am so excited. Today, I have someone who I just connected with just by the internet. That's the days we're living in now. It is the time of COVID where you just, like, make a whole new friend on TikTok or whatever. Or at least, I'm going to, in my mind, we're friends already. So we're going to talk <laughs> and we're going to learn a lot about Camille Cravat. So welcome to the show. Yay! Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So um, I understand that you're a, a writer, you, you're an author, you created a whole different, a whole lot of different things. What do you, like, what do you do exactly? If no one knew who you were, how would you kind of explain what you do? Okay. Um, I'm a writer and I'm, I'm an actor and like sometimes I model as well, which is kind of embarrassing to say. Why is that embarrassing? You're gorgeous. You just know, like, you know how haters are. <laughs> It's like another reason for people to bully you and make fun of you. <laughs> Anything. <laughs> I've only been living in LA for like three months. What I've noticed is everyone is everything here. So you just like, yeah. if you ask anyone what they do, they're like, what don't I do? You know? <laughs> yeah. It's hard to like keep a job if you only do one thing. Understandable. It is. It's funny too, coming from Texas, because when I would tell people I did comedy, they were like, what? Wow. I've never met anyone who does that. And now it's just like, yeah, no, so does my uncle. Like, no one gives a shit when you say you do stand-up here at all. It's very, it's a whole other world. It's very they different. They it's good when they tell you, when you tell someone that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, I always like to learn about people's, like, relationship to music. Because I think music is this great unifier, more so than comedy is. I mean, every comedian kind of, like, deep down wishes they're a musician anyway. Um, <laughs> have you ever, uh, have you ever tried to make music? yourself who are some musicians you're like a big fan of okay I grew up listening to a lot of music I listen to basically music every day and I'm very intense about making playlists like I make playlists for everything so like my favorite artist right now is like basically like undiscovered but like I mean she's like discovered she's like on Spotify but like she needs more love like I'm not hearing people talk about her enough Alex Molly I'm gonna play her for like the little playlist thing I have later mm -hmm. on in the segment but she's great. Um, Janine Aiko, queen, 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 queen. Ariana Grande's new album was so solid last year. Of course. Um, I grew up listening to a lot of game, Amy Winehouse. I absolutely, like, loved her. And, like, I'm Jamaican as well. I was, like, absolutely obsessed with Shaggy growing up. It was the first concert that I ever went to. I don't know why my knee-jerk reaction was to laugh. There's nothing wrong with Shaggy, but he's like, you know how certain artists were so big at a certain time that when you think of them, they're like they're like parachute pants. Like, there's nothing wrong with them, but they're just so ingrained in your mind as a piece of a specific time that it feels, like, ironic to hear anyone bring them up. Like, I haven't... Like, I never not like Shaggy, but it feels weird to say I like Shaggy, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm Jamaican, so it's like, people go through phases of, like, Caribbean phases. Like, if you've noticed the music, there's a lot of... Caribbean faces and like a lot of people that like helmed out aren't even Caribbean themselves so it like sort of like adds a certain level of corniness I feel like to all like Caribbean pop music to be honest how did you feel about Drake's little uh Caribbean phase when he was like going through that I mean I'm madly obsessed with Drake but yeah that was not it it wasn't chill and it wasn't necessarily like good but I do like that he, like, encourages artists um, like Skepta and stuff like that, who I think, like, he's Jamaican, British, born. That is interesting. Yeah, you're right. It is. It does feel, it's kind of funny because it's one of those, like, culturally appropriative things that I think even 
everybody just jumps on from time to time when they feel like it. And then they're like, by the way, I'm, I'm just like looking at you and it's, so, I'm such a square. I see someone smoke and I'm like, I forget. It's so legal here. Like you can do whatever you want. It's my medicine. It's your medicine. My, my medicine. <laughs> would you stop someone from taking insulin in front of you? No, I would not. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I wouldn't be like, man, actually, I'm not going to lie. I'm do, I do have like 2% narc tendencies. So I'd be like, is that insulin? Please tell me that's insulin because it was heroin. I have to leave. Like I'd be anxious. <laughs> oh yeah. If it was like heroin, I'm death dipping. <laughs> no one's doing a needle in front of me. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm working on being more chill. That is like one of my few resolutions this year is just to be a little bit more chill and more relaxed about stuff. That's so funny. Um, so the first thing I like to do is I dig into our section that we call Off the Record. So these are different stories of just kind of crazy things that happen in the music industry in the past. Are you familiar with the band Oasis? No, kind of not really. Yeah. They're like some trippy band. Yes, chances are you've heard their biggest hit song, Wonderwall. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, have you, this is, how old are you again? I feel like we're going to have a little bit of a generation gap. How, you're like, what, 25? I'm 26. 26, okay, well, I'm 31. When I was in college, every white boy who wanted to fuck would pull out a guitar and play the first couple of chords of Wonderwall, and everyone would be like, oh my God, you're so talented, and that'd be literally all they knew how to play. Like, after a while, it was like every party you just be like, oh, here goes Eric with that guitar again, like with Wonderwall. It was just like <laughs> the the epitome of just cringy, pay attention to me. So I have a, I don't know, I have a, a little bit of a, a chip on my shoulder when it comes to, to Wonderwall because I can't stand them. But it's that whole acoustic guitar, like, you know, phase that music had with like Jason Mraz and stuff like that, where there's like singer guitar writers, all those like white dudes would like bring a little ukulele or like guitar and like be so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I can say it in retrospect, like, oh my God, they were so annoying. But like, I definitely fucked a couple of them. <laughs> but at the time, <laughs> like, just for the memories, for the stories later, at least. <laughs> for, for at least that, for for the stories and for the memories. So um, I don't dislike Wonderwall. I don't, um, I, I don't dislike Oasis as a band. I do dislike the song Wonderwall, but it's probably because of that experience with it. Well, they had one of the most messy breakups in music histories, in particular because two of the members were brothers. Yes, brothers Liam and Noel Gallagher left Oasis. They said they couldn't handle the vibes anymore. They couldn't handle the rock and roll. He was too scared of it. Now he's got all cosmic pop and Leo Sayer. This is an interview with Noel talking about his brother Liam. Um, basically, there were several interviews where they would just throw slugs at each other from time to time. Whenever they were interviewed separately, they would say negative things about one another until it actually resulted in fistfights in the studio. In September 29, 1994, that's when they just officially called it quits. The public cracks in the Oasis facade. 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 Jesus. You guys are going to be like, damn, if this girl don't learn how to read. Facade. Yeah. <laughs> The first public cracks in the Oasis facade came during a showcase gig at the Whiskey A Go Go in Los Angeles. According to the supersonic film, the band were all in various states of refreshment, and Liam started to fling insults at the band and chucked a tambourine at his brother. Disgusted, Noel stormed off and disappeared for a couple of days. He eventually returned, but turned the incident into a brilliant song called Talk Tonight. So... Uh, I just, I love the idea of the sibling rivalry just coming to this huge head and they continued to tour, but fight with each other for a little bit over a year. And then they were just done in uh, 1996, August 23rd, they had their MTV unplugged show. 
And uh, at the last second, Liam pulled out of the gig due to illness, and Noel announced, Liam ain't going to be with us because he's got a sore throat, so you're stuck with the ugly four. Uh, <gasps> basically, one of those great <laughs> one of those great shady moments. I feel like a lot of times 90s groups would have like a person who was put to the forefront just because they were more attractive. Yeah. And then there was all that like disdain for them, like kind of with like no doubt and uh, don't speak. Yeah. So that's always fun to see. In sync. Justin Timberlake was the only hot one. No, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna firmly disagree yeah. with you. I'm sorry, you said Justin Timberlake's the only hot one. Yeah, and the dark-haired one. JC, I was gonna say, see, JC Chazé is such a wonderfully forgotten person. I, I, it, the the problem was is he he immediately made the worst song ever. I don't know if you remember this song called "Blowing Me Up" with her love. No, that sounds horrible already. It's awful it is it is my favorite thing in pop music is when someone instead of writing a chorus they're they just do like a bunch of onomatopoeias onomatopoeias so he's like she was she was bump 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 she was wah 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 like that's literally how it goes (laughs) there's no lyrics so uh you can look forward to hearing the song because after each episode i put together a playlist of the songs we talked about so now the worst jay-z chave song is a part of your legacy yeah so when you look at (laughs) vibe vibe <laughs> so hot and talented people are my vibe <laughs> <laughs> so none of the other none of the other NSYNC members did it for you you weren't a Lance Bass girl he was clearly gay to me even at a young age I knew you knew that at like seven you knew he was gay at seven like Barney and Teletubbies you just know that they're gay <laughs> well I was of the few people who were shocked I was one of those people who was like what but then I was like yeah like it wasn't like completely let down but i was like yeah i guess a little okay nsync versus backstreet boys what was your thoughts on that i thought that the lead of backstreet boys looked like george a young george bush so i was like more into nsync yeah i can see that i can see that with brian and the music was better i only i feel like i only liked one song from backstreet boys that's funny because hardcore bsb people i've noticed are bigger fans than hardcore nsync people like i feel like most nsync nsync people are kind of just justin timberlake fans but like Backstreet Boys fans are Backstreet Boys fans. Like they take it seriously. I don't get the obsession. I don't get like boy band obsession. I get girl band obsession because like they are clearly like all ripped and beautiful and perfect. But like male bands, I don't know. <laughs> that are like non-Korean. Like I don't feel like they just put in that effort for me to care. I have got to get more into K-pop. Are you like a, a big K-popper? No, but I noticed that everyone that's in K-pop looks immaculate. Like, they look how pop stars should. They do. They do. (laughs) They look like perfectly shined down, sculpted versions of every pop star. There's not a hair out of place. They all have that perfect middle part 90s uh, Boy Meets World haircut now. I love it. Yeah, they all have like really high maintenance, like grooming schedules. You can tell like none of them look like they just like naturally look like that, which I appreciate. (laughs) (laughs) i like that idea you're like no if they're gonna be a star they need to be the best i will expect nothing less so you know what's funny is i almost i chose oasis because i was like this is a little bit more obscure or at least obscure for me but i almost chose the breakup with one direction but then i was like huh i don't know i was i wasn't sure if you would like have any feelings about one direction at all were you someone who cared when they broke up or no i mean weren't they all put together because they weren't talented enough to get through one talent show together 
like alone so they were like formed together yes so i'm not fan of any of their music except liam payne's i think he like gets a glimmer of like good bops going on but like i've never liked the harry styles song like i've never one and liked it so you go for the you go for the r&b one then because you were like justin jc liam like you you pick the one who goes for more the r&b than like the folksy adorable stuff yeah i'm not into that like even like taylor swift now she's doing this folksy crap i'm like what happened (laughs) (laughs) bring back the old taylor Yeah, I mean, then again, I'm glad because she's not trying to dance anymore. Like, I'm glad we won't have to suffer through that. But I'm also like this this last album that I know really resonated with some people. Like, it was like an awakening for every pumpkin spice girl I went to college with. But for me, I was like, when does the beat drop? Like, it just felt like every song was so slow and like airy. Yes. I don't like I don't like music that sounds so ambient like that. Like, if I'm supposed to listen to this while I'm working, I'm just going to ignore it. Like, it does. I need something that, like, grips me. But I've listened to better versions of that music. Like, I feel like better versions of that music had its time. And she was busy making pop music then. When she could have been around a a lot of great contemporaries, like, elevating her music, she was making, like, you know, like, you belong with me. (laughs) The Pick Me Anthem, though. The Pick Me Anthem, man. so good, though. (laughs) Even (laughs) Pick Me, I love that song. (laughs) I know it by heart. I feel like with every artist that people kind of don't like, they still have, like, one favorite song. Like, I... I forgot how much I liked 22 until today when I was making like a stupid TikTok. Did you see the interview with the girl who stole, who thought that guy stole her phone? Yeah, she's so stupid. <laughs> Amy Ponsa, or Mia Ponsa. Did you see when she goes, so I'm like uh, 22 and like uh, racism. So. <laughs> and she was like, I, I, when she, what the part that took me out was when she was like, oh, he's like, they're saying he's 14, but I'm sure I've lived just as much life as him. I was like, what? this is literally what white people like think about like i know she's like i'm puerto rican italian puerto rican italian every person i've met this is the mixture of that looks white to me and so i'm just like literally what the crap and she's just like saying that her like childhood is so much more valuable than this little black kids that even yeah. though she's a 22 yeah. year old woman and he's an actual child who's just like a new teenager. It's like more like her, she's lived the same amount of life as him. Like it's equivalent somehow. And I'm like, how is that possible? It's when they're positioning themselves as the victim, like they won't, they will not let go of this victim idea. I mean, the wording she used, she goes, I don't understand why it's a big deal when like a 22 year old girl like accuses a guy. I'm like, you're a woman and don't call him a guy. That's a child. You would be, she'd be considered old to traffic. They would instead traffic her organs before she starts calling herself a child. Like, (laughs) you said said mama is too old to traffic. Like, she is expired. How dare you? She's not a kid to traffickers. Like, <laughs> dude, that is so funny. Like that, that whole situation was like, ugh. Uh, I feel like I cannot go twenty four hours without like hearing another story of just some wild racist shit, and it's just making me sad. So you know what? I, but my favorite thing in the whole world is hearing other people's story. That's why I started this podcast because I like to dig into people's business. So I, I tasked you um, with telling me five stories to go with five songs. So you have to choose the five songs that tell your life story, if you will, that kind of put it together. Now, it's not about your favorite songs, because I think sometimes when we think about that, we think about 
kind of how we want to be seen. It's just songs that kind of tell a story for you. So do you have your songs ready? Yeah, I do. All right, let's start one at a time and then we're going to go through them as we go. So, Okay, so first one is Heads High by Mr. Vegas. So um, I'm going to play a little bit of it because I don't know if you've heard it. It's a very popular song. And yeah, so basically I'm Jamaican. Um, I grew up in Atlanta and... I don't know, like, it was a very, like, interesting experience because, like, I was raised by, like, first-gen, um, a lady that went on to be, like, my aunt, um, was, like, my nanny, and so she was, like, Jamaican as well, and so, like, I grew up in sort of, like, a bubble where I didn't, like, even though I was in America, like, all, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people that, like, are from first-generation households deal with this, where it's just, like, it's, like, you weren't interacting with Americans at all. Like my mom didn't want me hanging around. Like she was like, okay with like other foreign kids. Like if I like, had a friend from like India or Bosnia or something, she'd be like, cool. But like another American, she'd be like, what? <laughs> Probably gross. <laughs> like, and um, like, I didn't eat like fried chicken until I was like, and I'm from the South till I was like 11 years old. Like my mom wouldn't allow me to. Like, it was just like so You were in weird. Atlanta not eating fried chicken. What a life. Yes. <laughs> I know, like, I was just, like, eating oxtails and, like, ginger snacks. Like, oh, my God, what was I living? (laughs) Like, I think about that all the time. It's, like, what was this, like, weird world in which I was living? And to the point where my mom, like, terrified me from eating, like, certain American foods because I was just, like, oh, this is going to be disgusting because she always talks about how, like, horrible it is, like, hamburgers and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I was, like, this is going to be traumatizing for me. But um, yeah, so I just wanted to play like a Jamaican song that like shows and like represents like that I like sort of like was raised that way up until I was like 11 and then like my mom unfortunately passed and then um, I had to like live with my dad who was like American and then finally I could do like normal things mm-hmm. that I like, for. <laughs> was that like a big culture shock moving from one parent to the next because of a tragedy like that? Um, Kind of yes and no, yeah. I mean like it was like, my mom was like very intense, like foreign moms, I mean, Jamaican women are like all intense. So it was like, honestly, like kind of like a bit of a reprieve in that respect. Cause like, again, Jamaica, I don't know if anyone's had like a Jamaican mother before, but <laughs> they're very intense people. So it was like a little bit of a reprieve. I'm, I'm familiar with a lot of people talking about like just being first generation and the pressure your parents put on you because they a lot of times they come to America to have a better life for you. So the expectation is that you have to be like the proof that it was worth it. Do you, like, did you grow up with like a lot of pressure on you to succeed and like succeed academically and be the best at everything you do? No, actually, but I was really good academically and I won like lots of awards and like scholarships and all that crap. But it wasn't because of like my mother I just Mm -hmm. like really loved, I feel like after dealing with like the death of like my mother and stuff like that and like dealing with like my father because then he died when I was 15 after like, like a coping mechanism was really like the search of knowledge, whether it be like reading, just like doing well in my studies. So like I just did really well in school because it was like my happy place. Mm hmm. We were, like, incredibly accomplished as a writer. Like, at only 25, you've written for, like, television shows and, like, done a lot of really amazing things. So I I guess, but you said it's not because of pressure. It's just, like, an inside thing you felt, like, just to be the best you could be. 
Yeah, some people like just like, I mean, I feel like it has to be that way. There's no way you can actually be successful and it'd be someone else pressuring you to be because eventually it'll break. I feel like eventually like, something's got to give. You have to also want it for yourself too. So even like if people did have like people really pressuring them, like they still did have that ambition within them too, you know? Like that stuff you can't just make up. Yeah. So with Head High in particular, um, which by the way, it's such a good song. I didn't, I, it's one of the things that I didn't realize I had heard before. I feel like with a lot of Jamaican and Caribbean artists, because so much of their stuff is sampled, you don't think you've heard it. And then you've heard it a bunch of times. Like I think most recently that was sampled on uh, Megatron with Nicki Minaj, I think. Am I right? Oh yeah. I forgot about yes. That. So that's a lot of fun. I, um, when you hear this song, like what does it take you to? I don't know, like, reminds me of, like, dancing, like, with my aunt and, like, my cousins and, you know, like, le- learning how to whine and stuff, you know? Because this is a good song to whine to. That can be quick of a whine. And that's, like, a Jamaican dance you do with your hips. It's just, like, it's not, like, twerking. It's, like, more smoother than twerking, you know? Yeah. I'm familiar. I went to a college in Wichita Falls, Texas, of all random places that has a huge Caribbean population. So we had this thing called Carib Fest every year, like during homecoming week. And these parties, oh my gosh. So like, I'm African-American. So like the black Greeks, we would have our parties and they would start at like 10 o'clock and go on to like two. And then everyone would go to the Caribbean parties, which would be like in the basement of like student housing. And they would start at two. And you would like, It'd just be people and their wife beaters just, like, drinking some punch out of a, a tub and then just dancing their asses off. And I, I'm sure I was whining incorrectly, but I was doing something. <laughs> like I was I was trying. Once you get the hang of it, it's fun. It is a good, good time. I love that. So it reminds you of dancing. It reminds you of family. It reminds you of your culture. It reminds you of your mom. That's awesome. I love songs like that that are, uh, it's just so funny how some cultures are not ingrained with dancing as much. Like my husband's white and uh, the first time his family saw him dance, they were like surprised. Like he was just like at a gathering for my house and was like, is, is he doing the butt? What is this called? The butt? <laughs> a lot of white people can't dance. I, I think they don't even like fathom it though. They're like, wait, what do I do? Like this comes on and I just start moving. Like it's just, it's this foreign idea to them. That is so amazing to me. So that's a great first song. Thank you for introducing me to that. I'm going to add that to your list. Yeah. Uh, what's another song that you think kind of makes up who you are and tells your story? Um, okay. So the next song that I chose um, was basically um, What I Did for Love by A Chorus Line. And basically, it's a song about like a person. It's a love song to like their passion. And it's basically about like, what would you do if today was like the very last day you could dance? Cause it's like about like a chorus line, people that are like dancers and this is like woman. And she like talks about like her love of dance and like what she would do on her last day. And I think it's like a very beautiful song. Yeah, that I love musicals. Are you a big musical nerd? What, what made you choose a chorus line? Uh, yeah, I love musicals. Um, I was in my first play when I was 15 years old. Um, it was like Life with Mother Superior. And like, I was like big show tune head. Since then, I also studied theater in college. And yeah, so I just like absolutely love like musical theater. I love singing musicals. I love watching musicals. I'm like a total theater nerd. And I have to say my favorite musical is MAME. Is what? MAME. MAME? I'm not familiar with MAME. Like, tell me about it. 
you will know two songs from it, Open the New Window and um, I Need a Little Christmas Now. Both of them are like um, yes. meme songs. But it's basically about like this like very, it's like Angela Lasbury, Bea Arthur. And it's basically like this woman, she's like very like wealthy, like rich, eccentric woman, um, you know, and very alt, but like posh. And her conservative um, brother like dies and she has to take care of her son, but then she starts doing all these like crazy, like, you know, rich, it's like, imagine Samantha Jones taking care of someone's kid. And so that's what that musical's <laughs> about. <laughs> it's so funny. It's amazing. You already sold me on it because you told me Dorothy from Golden Girls is in it. So I'm like, I'd sign me yeah. up, sign me up. I'm, I'm watching it. I don't care. Yeah. Anything, <laughs> anything lightly Golden Girls affiliated, I'm down. I'm completely down yeah. with it. There's this amazing song on it called Bosom Buddies, and it's like Bea Arthur, Angela Lasbury, and it's just like two old divas going at it at each other, and it's called, and they just like put jabs at each other, calling each other alcoholics and like sluts, and it's amazing. <laughs> my kind of musical. It's definitely one of my dream musicals to make, and like Cher said it's like her dream musical to be in, which is just like, ah. I would love to see her in that musical. Do you think it's time for a remake, like another film adaptation? It's time for a remake with Cher, but I don't know if she's funny, but like if she can bring the humor, I would love to see it. Cher, I think Cher is a little funny. I liked her in Mamma Mia too, which was bad, bad, but she added what she I did not want to see the second version of that. It was because so, you. Why would they even do that? It made no sense because the first one uses the whole ABBA catalog. So they were just like, what if we told more of the background story with the same songs? It makes no sense. I have a friend who we just intentionally love to go to see a movie whenever we think, like, I have a feeling this one's going to be bad. And it did not disappoint. It was, it was as bad as you think it's going to be. I love that idea. So have you ever thought about writing a musical yourself? Oh, I have. What would it be? Um, I recently I recently wrote um, a musical. It's basically um, like a rap musical. Yeah. Okay. Getting that Lin-Manuel Lin Miranda money. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I like, it was fun. I like wrote the demos and then I, um, I wrapped them. And yeah, hopefully, and I actually like am going out with like two pitches with like two rap musicals this year. So we'll see. I love um, musicals, love music. Um, I'm not really good with instruments. So I started off with rap. <laughs> oh, wow. As a, as a writer, are you ever intimidated by a type of genre? If you're like, no, I've got an idea. I'm just going to go with it. Is there ever something where you're like, I wouldn't do that per se. Like there's something you'd want to pursue, but you haven't touched yet. Yes. Um, I want to make big worlds, you know, like big set pieces. Like I want to make a Lovecraft, Game of Thrones, a Harry Potter. Um, but I understand that's like a real masterful um, level of writing to be able to be a world builder and still have all the connections that you would have in a grounded piece of work like that same level of character work. So for me, I feel like I'm nearing that level. I feel like I, I, I'm there now I can like start, but I, for a while was like very scared to do that. In fact, like my first script I ever wrote was like a witch script, starts off with world building. It was too, um, you know, I, I had too much hubris. I wasn't ready yet to like create something like that. Um, but then I recently went back to it and now it's like a sample that like a lot of studios have got, given me like positive feedback on and like wanted to meet me off of. So, um, okay. 
I understand now like the elements of world building which is needed but that was like a sort of genre that I sort of like held back on there's like other genres that held back on that I've written for example like um my most successful sample is a sex comedy um and I always looked up to shows like Sex and City Girls Mm -hmm. um Fleabag Chewing Gum all those sort of shows were like my kind of vibe that I wanted to, I knew I always wanted to write and like star in. And like, it took me a while to like, feel like I was a strong enough comedy writer to create a compelling sex comedy that would get people to listen and be like, this is different. This is not what I usually see. Um, so um, it took me a while to get there, but once I sat there and wrote it, it was the quickest thing I've ever written. And I like finished it in like a month and a half. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. And so it's like, um, even though you like may hold off on like certain genres or whatever, it's just a matter of like understanding your skill level, whatever. And I do it for like a lot of genres. It's sort of like a video game, you know, like you unlock this achievement, you can go to this one because I know that you could master this is it kind of I think that makes a lot of sense is it is it kind of like you can't actually get there until you get through what's under it like you just have to keep writing so that you get the skill set to keep writing if that makes sense like you just write to get better at writing if that makes sense yes literally you just have to keep 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 writing writing is something it's like a long game always like the best writers are older it's just the fact there are always those geniuses that wrote like something young whatever but most people they're the best when they're older like it's like night and day, like just like, it's like a fine wine, you know? And so um, I understand that. And I'm always like trying to invest into becoming like the greatest storyteller I can be, because I definitely want to be one of the greatest storytellers, like to at least exist in my time period. So I'm trying to like work towards that. And like, you know, that requires me constantly trying to explore and like, you know, just like keep writing and keep writing and keep writing. I definitely have had like boyfriends tell me I write too much. (laughs) (laughs) Of course they were writers as well. And I think I made them feel bad, but yeah, (laughs) because I was writing when they weren't. I love that. I love that where it's like, um, am I doing too much? Are you doing too little? And now you feel insecure. Like you need the, you feel like you need to step up, but rather you'd rather see me just shrink down. That is interesting. So what's it like dating other creatives who do the same thing as you? I, I personally have a lot of experience with that, but I love hearing other people's feedback on it. What's it like dating other writers or or people who've been in the same industries as you? I don't see any benefit. Like people talk about like a cultural benefit, whatever. You can meet someone chill and they can understand your vibe. Like, you just don't date a psycho. Um, But for me, I dated, like, two... For a while, I had, like, two boyfriends. I would, like, juggle them back and forth. Like, for a while, I, like, cheated on them. Then, like, they slowly started to know about each other. And we just, like, had toxic relationships. (laughs) Like, where it's just, like, you know, they were seeing other people. I was seeing them and other people. But it was just, like, you know typical LA bullshit, but they were both in the industry. And like one was like an executive production company and the other was like um, upper level writer on like a show that I admired. But he was like really lazy, like really, 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 really lazy when it, like he didn't have a sample and he was like at co-producer level. (laughs) And when I'm, (laughs) yeah, I know. And I'd be like the writer's PA, like working my ass off, like trying to get more and more and more samples. And he'd be like, you're writing too much. And I'm like, come on, like just cash your residual checks and leave me alone so I can be on your level. (laughs) Stop like picking on me. And like everything I ever wrote was like, 
uh, first draft, like, it was kind of insane. Like, he never thought that anything I wrote was, like, finished, which was kind of interesting. Do you think he was, do you think he was a little bit gaslighting you? A little bit negging? I think he was just jealous. And he had, like, a bit of, like, a drinking problem. I smoke a lot of weed, so I try not to judge people that drink a lot. But I think that the vibe is different when people smoke a lot versus drink a lot. Like, smoking doesn't change your personality. If anything, it'll change it more positively to make you calmer. If non-positive can make you dumber, but, (laughs) and less observant. But, like, it's never anything that will, like, you know, like, hurt someone else's feelings or, like, you know, make themselves embarrassed. Um, And, like, I feel like he embarrassed himself a lot drinking and also like I feel like um he like sort of like felt like power from like you know like dating like women in the industry and thinking that he was hot shit and that these women wanted him because of his job Mm. when in reality it wasn't that and he didn't realize that and maybe like I don't know some women were like that but I feel like for me it wasn't that because it's like he wasn't the type of co-producer I would be so if I was dating him off his job I would date someone that was a little better at his job Because, like, when Mindy Kaling was co-producer on The Office, she wrote a novel autobiography about her life. That's a little bit different, you know? (laughs) Those are different levels of, like, you know, that same job and, like, accomplishments and where I would, like, view myself. So. (laughs) That's funny. Do you feel like sometimes men just lean back on one accomplishment much more comfortably than women will? Oh, yes. (laughs) Men are the quickest to have the stalest fucking writing samples. <laughs> like when you write this five years ago in college, it's like what? It's it's insane. Like I write all the time. I um I don't want to like be mean to my boyfriend, but he's a writer and he has one sample. He wrote it like two years ago. When I met him, we sort of like dated and then we like broke up or whatever. And then we got back together like a year ago. Like he had one sample when we first started dating. He was like a writer's assistant and I was a writer's PA. I since have like gotten stopped. Like I worked on like a Netflix show, Quibi show, whatever. He is still a writer's assistant because he has that one sample. It's like the amount of like hustle you have. It's like men definitely rest on their laurels. They know that their buddies will eventually like like rise them up I was constantly told that like I wasn't good enough and that something was wrong with me and like I just like constantly felt like crazy negative energy where I had to like overly compensate to the point where like I was grinding out samples by the time I got staffed I had four viable samples and like now um a year later I have six samples um including uh like a not including a feature that I recently wrote. So that's important to like think about, like men just don't have that within them, I don't think. They like know that they can like have shortcuts. Like even if you like see like how dudes date, they're always constantly looking for shortcuts and like meticulously will like put their all into things. It's like, well, that's the same way professionally. Like, I've definitely, like, worked in environments where people have been, like, you're such a suck-up, you're such a kiss, you know, like, kiss everyone's ass, or, like, you work so hard, you're, like, breaking your back, why? And it's just, like, because that's what I do for everything, because I'm a woman. When I get ready in the morning, I'm putting my all into it. When I, like, when I do anything, I have to put my all into it, or no one will take me seriously. No one will respect me. A dude can literally, like, be bare minimum, and they will respect him regardless. It's bullshit. Yes. (laughs) And they have way less accomplishments. Oh, yeah. In every industry. 
you just reminded me of a great song from a musical. Have you seen Legally Blonde, the musical? Yes. Yes. It's one of my favorites. I love, I can't think of his name right now. Maybe Greg, uh, the guy who is her tutor and he, he sings the song Chip on Your Shoulder. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> that's what you just made me think of. It's just like, because you have this drive that's like, I'm going to prove I'm the best. I'm going to be the best. And in order to be the best, I have to continue to do things that are great. I can't just do one good thing and think that's good enough. You're like, I'm going to do another great thing and another great thing. And you're just like, there's no limits to it. But I do think, I do think for guys, they think that like success is an inevitability for them. That if they're just around long enough, like success will kind of fall like into their hands. And we're sent that women are sent, we're sent the complete opposite matches. We're sent like, like you're not going to be successful. Everyone, no one thinks you're good. Yeah. And, um, and if you, and even if, and that's why, I mean, that's why I think it's so funny sometimes when I, you just, you don't see imposter syndrome so much for men. It's not even, if anything, they have like the opposite thing where it's like, I, I think we should ground you a little bit. <laughs> What'd you say? Only the good ones, only the actually talented ones have imposter syndrome. Yeah, true, 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 true. That is, uh, and it's funny too, because you can work so hard. And if you're in the same industry as your partner too, people will like, if you're a woman, if it's a male dominant industry, people assume they're responsible for something you're doing. I get it all the time as a comedian. They're like, people will just be like, oh, does your husband write your jokes? I'm like, no. No. How the fuck can a man write a woman's joke? <laughs> I've seen them try. They're not good. No. <laughs> no. Especially, especially if you've ever seen the reply guys on any funny girl's Twitter, there's no way these men write jokes. <laughs> like, it's just like, no. Literally. They say that women aren't funny. Look at the reply guys on <laughs> Twitter. That will show who's not the funny one. Oh my gosh. They just like either repeat your joke or act like they don't understand it. And keep replying to themselves until they like the the it's the lack of embarrassment for me. It's the fact that they don't get embarrassed at how unfunny they are, so they'll just keep going. Oh wait, what if you really met and just have a whole conversation with themselves? It's fascinating. I I hate men because like when they think that they're funny, because then like if you like clearly the joke didn't land. It's like you. It's your fault. You're the woman. You don't understand my joke. It's like we understand it. It's not funny. It didn't land. You're not humorous. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, my my little. You remind me of my little sister because she's uh she's 25 and she's like dating and stuff. And she tells me she told me that one of her like things that she does on dates to kind of vet a man is she will tell them that I'm a comedian to listen to their response. And if they're like, oh, is she funny or is she any good? She's like, fuck, in a day, in a day. <laughs> She's like, you're sexist. You're just automatically sexist if you have to follow up with stupid questions like that. Or if they're like, I, or if they say something about how they want to be a comedian, she's like, end of date. And he, basically, she has this thing where she won't date any man who believes they're funny. Like, she's just like, that just means you're sexist. Don't date any man that thinks he should be a comedian. Because <laughs> chances are he shouldn't. And like, that's embarrassing. Nothing's more embarrassing than watching someone flounder and not be funny ever. Like, never grow in the funniness. I've definitely like broken up with someone because I was like, I can't see you growing as a comedian like ever. Like, oh damn! Like the things just are funny, like are like offensive, and you you can't grow like that. Oh, I mean, I believe that. I I definitely understand that though with the comedy scene the way it is in in LA. Like, I had it in my mind that if you come from a small town and you go here, this is like the big leagues. And then I have to remember that you can just be in LA. Like you can just move to LA and do comedy here. You don't actually have to be like great to do it. That's always interesting to see. So, um, Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
For sure. <laughs> you do not have to be great for that. Also, I just want to express like what a big fan I am of the fact that you are such a functional pothead. Because you were like talking about the difference between smoking weed and, and, and drinking alcohol. And to me, I've always wanted to like get better at weed. But to me, the only people I know who smoke weed do nothing else. So I'm like, I don't know. Like y'all don't look... Y'all don't look like you're you're living a very balanced life and you just seem to be accomplishing so much and still being high. So honestly, you're like a role model. I'm a fan. I really am. I have a personality. So honestly, it takes the edge off for everyone involved. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I like read an article that said that people that smoke weed actually like they lose aggression while they're smoking, but they become aggressive like more aggressive while um, they're sober because they don't have it to depend on. <laughs> if you're already an aggressive person, then it just makes it worse. But if you're a little bit on the chill side, it kind of like boosts your confidence a little. Yeah, it chills me out. Makes me have less anxiety about everything. Cause it's like, you know, as a writer, you're always like sending things out, waiting for people's thoughts. I And like I also act like I'll do a self tape them. Like, oh, I wonder what they thought. Like, and stuff like that. And so it's like nice to just like chill. When, and just, you know, and like I learned how to smoke weed while writing when I was like a freelance copywriter and I wrote like 4,000 words a day for like $500 a week. And I was like, I'm going to be high through all of this. <laughs> <laughs> they don't think that. <laughs> uh, do you feel like the, the like COVID-19 has affected the audition process for you in like a positive way or a negative way? Like what's it been like doing only self-tapes right now? I actually got a talent agent while... Um, right like while COVID-19 happened so I don't know the world before because I was like more of just like a writer um, marketing myself as that just to start off you know because I want people to respect me as a writer because I'm I work really hard for that and it's like something that I've been doing for a while I was like first published when I was 15 but like I started like modeling like about two years ago because um, my ex dumped me and I was just like damn I need something. So I like got some photos done by this photographer I was friends with. Come on, revenge career. Go yeah. off. All I right. Mean, I didn't even mean to like start a career, but like after off those photos, more photographers started taking photos of me, like asking me to on Instagram. And then like two months in, I started making money off modeling. And I've just been doing it ever since. And, like I do like music videos and like, you know, like e-commerce and like it's like kind of fun. Um, but I definitely um from that, it evolved to me being like, okay, I have a theater degree. Let me use it too. And because it's like, I write these things that I want to star in and I've written things that I have starred in. And so I was just like, it's time to just combine it all and just own the fact that I'm like a one-stop shop creator. <laughs> <laughs> the one-stop shop creator. That's absolutely what I'm going to call this, by the way. I love that. It's like the new jack of all trades, like one-stop shop creator. I love that. So let's talk more. And I'm, I love that you're so passionate about putting together playlists. So I'd love to hear your other songs. Tell me your song number three. Okay. So um, my next song is um, basically Started Up. And it's by Alex Molly. And it's basically about a girl. And she's like having trepidations about starting like, you know, like a relationship, whatever, because she's like nervous. And that I feel like it was very me. Like I used to like be filled with like a lot. Of, I used to be like so, but she like obviously like wants to. I used to be filled with like such like, you know, desire to like want to be in a relationship or like 
want to be like I was like basically like a serial monogamous I'd like always be like in relationships whatever and like but it would always bring me great anxiety because it was just like I don't want to like you know disappoint my partners by like telling them no or like I'm not ready or like anything like that because it's like I feel like when you tell a dude like you're not ready to like you're a whore you just want to fuck mad niggas and it's like it's not that you just (laughs) it might not be that you might just like want to like you know find yourself a little or maybe you don't know if you're not sure if you want tin dust you're all into one person um so yeah that's what that song is about like me like struggling with like being a serial monogamous and i'll play a little bit of it. it's really beautiful i love her voice why have i not heard of her thank you again for putting me on this is exciting started up and faded is really good oh my gosh like first couple of lines and it kind of reminds me of like um she doesn't exactly sound like Ari Lennox but like that kind of vibe of like there I'm, I'm enjoying a lot of the singer songwriters now who are really introspective and just like being honest about what it's like to be in love now which is a very different th- you know it's not always I'm just so in love from first sight it's also like I have to think about 10 million other things and my world is crashing down around me and do I even want to be in a relationship right now I really appreciate that I uh I was a little bit of like a summer walker hater at first <laughs> like I don't I love her, but I hate her like brain, but I love her. <laughs> I, I wish there's certain people I'm like, I, I think you don't understand you're famous. I want you to go ahead and surrender your cell phone and then I will tweet a picture of you. And, you know? <laughs> Basically black female Donald Trump, like essentially. <laughs> she says she- some wild <laughs> stuff on the internet. I'm a big fan of the Reed podcast. So that's how I keep up with it. And I'm just like, why is she arguing with people? <laughs> She should just like be peaceful, like her music. <laughs> yes, I think a lot a lot of people who have really peaceful music have very fiery personalities in contrast. Like I guess the best example is like, you know, Solange just making all these songs about peace and inner works and then beating niggas' ass in an elevator. Like sometimes, I know. So sometimes we're just a whole different vibe. I like that song a lot. How do you think it applies to kind of? Would you say it represents like who you've been in the past in relationships and you're in a different headspace now, but, or, or would you say it's kind of still where you're at? Like still kind of figuring things out relationship wise. I'm being nosy now. Sorry. I, think I know what I want relationship wise, basically. Like for me, like I'm like someone that's always like, I put a lot of effort into everything. So I was like often with people where I put in like all this effort And then, I don't know, like, it was just, like, not worth it. And I was just like, wow, if I put this effort into my career, I would go places. (laughs) And so I was, like, single for, like, two-ish years where I was, like, off and on with, like, the same dudes, like I was telling you about. They were, like, my boyfriends, but not. So I was, like, able to truly focus on my career. And, yeah, like, I did so much within that time because I wasn't focused on pleasing one person like, cause I like dated dudes that like didn't want me to like act. I like dated dudes that like hated that I went out at night for comedy. Like, it's like, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, like, or like dudes that hated that I made very little money as an assistant coming up. And we're just like, you have all these accomplishments. Like I'm a Fulbright scholar. Like you should be making way more money than you make with your like intelligence. And I'm just like, well, this, you have to pay your dues. Mm-hmm. It's better than me being broke in fucking law school, you know? <laughs> Like, I'd rather just be broke like a, in a, as a Hollywood assistant until I become like a freaking TV writer. That sounds more exciting to me <laughs> than like grinding my life away. So yeah, I feel like 
now I am much more a yes or no, leave me alone. Like, if you don't have a bag, leave me alone. Like a City Girls song, you know? <laughs> like, way more definitive. But I, I feel like everyone gets that with age. Like, that's why so many dudes prey on younger women. It's not because they look better. I was going to ask if these guys were older than you because it, it felt like a paternalistic, I'm going to tell you what to do with your job, what to do with your time. I think you're beautiful and you're hot, but I don't want other people to see you being beautiful and hot. Yeah. What is it with LA dudes? And it seems like LA dudes will cuff the baddest girl they can find and then be mad that she's like, hot in public like every girl i know who's like a model actress something something has like some boyfriend who hates that she's a model actress something something why it's men just like they they're like insane like they view like the world in a different way i feel like some men view the world like entourage and they view you like if you're a beautiful woman you like have like a higher status than them or whatever and they want like a woman that they can like sort of have in their place to like be grateful or whatever, that they're there for them or whatever. Like, I know some dudes that specifically have told me that they only, like, date women, like, that are, like, that they consider, like, the average looking or whatever because they don't want to have to deal with, like, other dudes complimenting them or, like, you know, just, like, like them, like, taking them for granted and thinking that they can do better and all of this stuff. But I feel like women do that, too. Women also down date. Like, they'll be like, oh, I'm going to date a dude that, like, isn't that hot, so he won't, like, look for other women. So it's like, I feel like it's, like, a man-woman thing, but I feel like um, men are, like, the worst about it. Like, obviously, like, they'll, like, fuck hot woman after hot woman after hot woman and then settle down with, like, an average-looking woman. You'll, like, wonder why, and it's, like, because they literally just want to control them. They need that controlling aspect because they know if they date like a certain type of woman that they won't be able to control them and emotionally abuse them <laughs> you you nailed it it's exactly that that is such a weird dynamic uh, the straights are not okay this like constant struggle for power and relationships is so weird to watch although i have literally had people tell me like get you a man that that loves you more than you love him because then he won't cheat. And I'm just like, why does it have to be an uneven skit? Like everyone's always trying to win by getting over on each other in relationships. It's very complicated. Yeah, there shouldn't be like a win or lose like that. I think that's weird dynamic. And you shouldn't have planned for your partner to cheat on you or whatever. Like you shouldn't plan for that. If that's in the back of your mind, like maybe you just shouldn't be in a relationship. It sounds like, I like what you said about that like two and a half year period with the kind of your like on and off again boyfriends, but it was a really great creative period for you because you got so much accomplished. I think a lot of people, it sucks because I think there's this conditioning with women where we're told like you only have, like the most important thing you can do is get married and have babies. And you got to do that by X, Y, Z age. So you can't waste any time and you should be focusing on finding a partner. And then these girls or women, these women are out here looking for a partner when the men aren't worried about partnership at all. So no, they're not about that they're giving their all into these relationships because they think we are the sum of our marriage and our husbands and like what we like what we get out of that and then we're just left standing here going who do I even want to be outside of a wife you know and that's and it's so dumb I think it's so much more important to just explore who you are and what you want to be outside of your relationship and figure out what you want to do career-wise so Good for you, man. That's awesome. You have got a fantastic head on your shoulders. I feel like such an old when I'm like, look at you, a young person <laughs> with <laughs> with great with great ideas, like knows exactly what you want to be. But that's very cool. And you said you're a Rhodes Scholar. That is so cool. Oh, no, Fulbright. I wish I was Rhodes Scholar. Oh, sorry. See, this is how you know I'm no kind of scholar. I was like, that's like summa cum laude, but of the world, right? Like, I don't know what this shit means. <laughs> 
Yeah, full bright scholar is like one step below Rhodes. People actually call it half bright because it's like that's what the, it's like a sort of joke. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny, but um. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. I just I love how every end group has like you mean to tell me the smartest people in the world look down on the second smartest people in the world. They're like, hmm, hmm, half is bright. <laughs> to be fair, some full bright scholars do become Rhodes scholars, but yeah, it's just like another program to get like free fun trip for just being smart road scholar you get free grad school oh that's that is Fulbright is like with the united nations and the state department um and like another country and you like either like do research or teach at like a university um abroad and i taught at a turkish university when i was like 21 and it was a great experience i learned turkish through immersion all that shit um but yeah it was like really fun and it was like a really weird process because like you had to be approved by the united states then like the u.n then like the actual government of turkey or whatever wow that is that's crazy so you like were teaching and like living so you've lived everywhere how many places have you lived i lived in like the uk like so i lived london um ireland and then i lived in greece and I've, like, been to a lot of other countries, too. And I, like, stayed in Egypt for a little bit, too. But, yeah. And then Turkey. Those are, like, the foreign countries I've been to the most. Do you think being so well-traveled kind of helps you as a writer? Like, it helps you as far as, like, understanding different perspectives and having more to say? Yeah. You have to be alone as a writer. And, like, traveling is kind of a lonely thing. You, th- you, you spend a lot of time thinking. You spend a lot of time reading. You spend a lot of time doing nothing. Um, just, like, viewing beautiful art, you know? Like, you're absorbing a new, like, culture and everything. So I feel like that's so important. When I was younger, I was obsessed, obsessed, obsessed with reading great autobiographies, sorry, (laughs) about great, like, you know, like, writers or whatever. And that was something that I, like, noticed in most great writers, that they were well-traveled, that they had, like, been outside where they're from, even if they were from some small town in, like, Mississippi. They'd made their way to New York and Paris and, like, all these interesting places so I knew that that was something I had always wanted to do, and I, I did it, but I want to do more traveling for sure. Like, I feel like that was, like, very much, like, a important part of my, um, like, teens or whatever. Like, my late teens, I was, like, 18 to 20 traveling loads. I mean, I guess, like, to 21 because I lived in Turkey. And then, like, I sort of, like, came back to America came and like just started working um you know I was like a manager at like Walgreens and it really sucked it was horrible like to save up money and then like I moved to LA I like ghost wrote a pilot for someone for five thousand dollars and then I moved to LA with that and then ever since then I've been in LA like not traveling Mm -hmm. so I'm not the Walgreens thing was funny in the sense of like I just did not expect you to pull that out of nowhere it was just like I, I just wasn't expecting to hear that I was like wow there's a manager to Walgreens and then moved to LA off of ghostwriting a pilot. That's awesome. That is such a cool, did the pilot, is the pilot something on TV that you can't tell me about? I'm just curious. No, I wish. But like, if it was, that person wouldn't have deserved the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wouldn't, they wouldn't have deserved. That's interesting. I didn't even know people pay. Like I said, I'm, I feel like such a country bumpkin sometimes and just learning about all this stuff. I'm like, oh, you people just don't write their own pilots, but then say someone else did and then put their name on it wild people say that a lot especially in comedy are you kidding me i'm just over here writing my own stuff struggling i didn't know what now that i have five thousand dollars extra so i see there are different options for different people then like your favorite like comedians you know that they don't write all their jokes like they have like a team of people that write their jokes that's like already something 
Yeah, I'm aw- I'm aware of that. That's one of those things where like I would hope that I just I don't ever want to do that. I don't want to go on stage with someone else's words. I'm very I take a lot of pride in what I write. Even greats do it. You just do like a little bit of quality control. You refine those jokes and make them yours and. Yeah, I, I get it once you're, like, really successful because it's, like, it's bigger than you then, you know? You do need a team. You know what it takes to, like, make a good show. So I get it. But, like, I, I know that people are capable of writing their own shows. I feel like I would be able to write my own show because, like, I try and write a good joke a day on Twitter and that works out. So, but I don't even know what that would be, like, live. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a whole different animal. It is a, a whole different muscle like performing live versus like what you say and also too a lot of things work via twitter that don't work live and vice versa like sometimes it's just like reaction and personality i don't know i have i i have been uh, enjoying myself on zoom for the last nine months as opposed to doing live shows so it's a whole other animal wild um so taking it back into our songs of the day so we've got um i really like that alex Moffy, uh, molly song that you just told me about by the way so this is this has been a fun one for me because i don't know any of your songs usually i know every song everyone tells me so this has been really fun tell me two more tell me like you're 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 blowing my mind here okay you might have heard this song this is from janine aiko's new album it's called trying to smoke like obviously weed is an important part of my life (laughs) i first started smoking weed when i was like 16 years old i told my friends i'd smoke weed before then but i totally hadn't and like it like definitely became a major part of my personality like (laughs) being a stoner um i like stoner culture i like um even though like i had brothers and sisters i was like so I was like the youngest, like they're 11 years older than me, the closest one in age. So I was basically like raised an only child and I was so selfish. Like I would always like, I was super spoiled and all that stuff, but like weed culture teaches you to like be giving and, you know, like share with people and like chill out and like, just like be the antithesis of what like any like, you know, Southern suburban girl would be. So I liked um, like just smoking weed and obviously like I've smoked loads of weed. I've smoked it all over the world, um, used all different types of pipes, all different types of ways. I've used like gas masks. And so just wanted to (laughs) use, have a song about weed. And this is like probably my favorite song about weed ever. I love something that starts with a skit, by the way. Love it. Already got theatrics. (laughs) But yeah, the song is really great. I'm obsessed with Janine Aiko. I think she is like a wonderful flower child. I was in like a big Sean music video recently and I like was even afraid to look him in the eye because I was like, I'm not going to disrespect Janine Aiko by looking her man in the eye. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I felt. I was like, but I do love Big Sean. I'm a huge fan of like his music. He's my top I love that. I feel like 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 my obsession, my my favorite music artist because I'm the most basic of basics is Beyonce. And I feel like if I met Jay-Z, I'd just be like, oh my God, it's Beyonce's husband. You know what I mean? Like all I want to do. He elevates every song he's in. I'm such a huge fan of him. Yeah, Big Sean is great. He's a great rapper, and I like I like a lot of his new project. Like the things I haven't listened to it in its entirety, but I was like, this is different. I like this a lot. Yeah, I mean, I remember I went to Oakland recently, and I freaked out. I'm like, I'm in Janine Aiko land. This is amazing. True. Very, very true. Janine Aoko is. It's funny. It's like every girl I know who likes her has that vibe. Like they're like. It's very, it's, it's kind of like, um, 
like she's she's an artist but also she's a little bit of a cult like you know what i mean if you're a fan of her you kind of pick up a lot of her tendencies and her personality i could smell her <laughs> she's near <laughs> you're just like hoping you run into her at the local corner store just running around yeah hmm. be excited <laughs> to meet? Ah. i who what's a celebrity who's the celebrity you'd be the most excited to meet and i'm sure you've met a lot of famous people wow i don't know i like have met no one that i'm like obsessed with i feel like i worked for jared leto and i worked for jamie fox and like i met leonardo dicaprio and I'm, like who would be like someone cool like uh, were you nervous with any of those three like those are those i think everyone you just named was a people's sexiest man of the year at one point um, in their lifetime jared leto i was like freaked out just because like i knew that like he had like a crazy sense of humor so i was just like i don't want to offend him but i also don't like want yeah you know <laughs> i just didn't want to offend him because it's like he has a crazy sense of humor um but he, like, is, like, very eccentric. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then you're like, is he joking or is he serious? Yeah. Like <laughs> so it was just, like, I was, like, on my toes. It was, like, one of the, he was, like, the first person, like, I've ever worked for that was, like, a celebrity. Like, in entertainment period, he was, like, my first job in entertainment, working for him. So I was just, like, nervous to, like, make the wrong move. I didn't understand this industry yet. But he was a very chill dude. Um, I was the only Black person working for him. <laughs> I, yeah. I I feel like I need to I can't wait till things open back up so I get more of a chance because the only celebrity I've seen in LA was Tim Allen and I was like ah <laughs> right it's like fucking good old Republican Tim Allen like I'm so excited about this I think I'd freak out if I saw Kim Kardashian like, really I'm a huge I think all her outfits are cute I love that she, like, normalized, like, having, like, a curvaceous body, whatever. Like, she changed the game for me. Like, she, her blackfishing turned me into the beauty standard. So <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> I was like, did you see my face when you said normalized or curvy? And I was like, well, I guess, like, well, the word you used was normalized. You're right. Curvier. She started out like a size eight. Like she might lie and say she was like another size. When I look at videos of her, she looked like how I used to look like when I felt like bloated, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like she lost a lot of weight, like doing whatever crazy diet she's doing now because she's super crazy rich. But when she was like around my age, she had the same like body type as me. Like she had big butt, like cellulite, you know, like, you know, like normal body. Like she, her body could roll, like, you know, it wasn't perfectly flat. She didn't look like Paris Hilton. And so for me, like seeing someone like that be lauded and like people finding that attractive changed my life. Cause I, I remember being a young kid, being obsessed with America's, America's Next Top Model, desperately wanted to be a model. And knowing my body type, I could never, ever, ever be a model. Because, like, they were saying that any woman that was my body type, and I'm, like, a size six, was, like, plus size model. Like, mm -hmm. she literally changed, like, fashion with her body type. And, like, while people can say, like, whatever they want about her, there's a lot of problematic things that can be said about her and her entire family. I mean, I feel like less of it is like from her, like on her than Kylie Jenner, because I feel like she is like a woman of color. She is Armenian, but yeah, she definitely has done wrong, but I feel like she's done more good than bad when it comes to like the black community, whatever. Mm. 
That's a good take on it. I I went from being, I wasn't a Kim hater, but I was one of those people who was like, she's famous for doing nothing. But I mean, you know what? Running an empire isn't nothing. You know, like making, building a brand from yourself and your family and generations is not nothing. And I think I've kind of been conditioned to devalue what she does because it only benefits her. And so, like, I think a lot of times we just want to give women no credit. So I'll give credit where credit's due. She's a beautiful woman. I think it's, like, coming from, I just kind of grew up with other examples of curvy black women. And, like, so to me, I guess, but when you use the word normalized, normalized means that everyone sees it, that white America sees it, that middle America sees it. And you're right. It did normalize it. It's just, it's frustrating sometimes when you need a white face. And I know she's Armenian, which isn't necessarily, although, funny story, I live in Glendale, which has like that one, like a really big Armenian population. I was looking up the black population of our, of Glendale because I just wanted to know. And it's like less than 2% because I was curious. What? Yeah, it's less than 2% black in Glendale. It's not a very black area. It actually used to, it used to be a sundown town and they just recently apologized for it in July of this year. I did not know that before I got here. But it was funny because when you look up black population of Glendale, the next question is, what kind of white is Armenian? And I was like, who is Googling what kind of white is Armenian? They're not. Because Armenians will be like, I'm white. And it's like, you're obviously not white. Like, Turks would do that too to me. They'd be like, I'm white. And like, you're not white. (laughs) White doesn't look like you. But like, technically, like, those sort of Middle Eastern people are. They're like, the kind of, they're like, still technically Aryan. Them Persians and like, um, Turks are all technically Aryan. But they don't look white. And people don't treat them that way. They look very, like, traditionally Middle Eastern, I feel. And I remember when I lived in Turkey, people were, like, talking about the Armenian genocide and the way that it didn't exist. And, like, someone tried to help me, like, tried to get me to help them, like, translate a paper of theirs that was, like, denying the Armenian genocide. It was kind of wild. Yikes. Hey, can you help me with some hate crimes I'm working on real quick? Just want to make sure, get another eye on this. Like, what? That's wild. Like, I just feel like you have lived so much life in such a short amount of time. Like, that is that is really fascinating, all the places you've been and all the things that you've done. Um, but yeah, you know what? I, I am going to... I am going to give credit where credit's due when it comes to the Kardashians, you know? Like, they've changed. I mean, we've been talking about them for almost two decades. Like, it's, and you can't deny that they're all beautiful. So they're just stunning people. Who would you say is like, because I just like, who would you say is like a beauty or style icon for you? Uh, Right now, like today, Mm -hmm. Bella Hadid, everything she wears, she's like a trendsetter. Like, the way she does her hair, I do, like the way she like dresses. Her and Hailey Bieber, I think, are the best dressed women out here right now. I mean, and then, like, obviously, like, when it's, like, summertime, Solange, I just basically, like, I'm like, what would Solange wear (laughs) in my mind? (laughs) Um, Because I just, like, love her, and I'm, like, definitely, like, um, you know, I was, like, I'm obsessed with, like, the manic pixie dream girl look, so... Zoe Kravitz to everything she wears. You give me a Zoe Kravitz vibe for sure. Uh, a very like, it's a, it's an aesthetic. It's a look. I love it. Her. <laughs> she is the best. She is so great. So I love, like I said, Jenna, Jenna, I, I cannot say her name. Jenna Ioko is absolutely a vibe. It's like, it's not just the music. It's the way she presents herself and performs and her stuff is just so great. It also feels so California. Like how long have you lived in uh, LA? Like, four years three four years now kind of wild yeah if, if, 
does it feel like longer you or would you say like less time like it's gone by fast it's gone by fast it feels like i've just been here like yesterday but i feel like i also know like la like the back of my hand now so it's like yeah um kind of crazy that i've been here this long i didn't I didn't, like, I knew I was going to be here for a long time, but I'm still like, well, am I going to be here for my entire life? <laughs> <laughs> what is your, would you say that's your plan? Like, you want to, like, live here forever or probably move somewhere else eventually? I would like to work in the UK. I'd like to work in television there. Like, to make, mm-hmm. yeah. I, it, that really appeals to me. I like living in Europe. I'm a huge fan of that. And, like, obviously, like, I would love to, like, you know, travel the world a bit more like live like in different places for a few months in different areas i love that so i guess we're coming to that time where we're going to get down to the last song so thank you so much for putting this playlist together and kind of telling me some songs that kind of shape who you are and your stories so we've got head high by mr vegas um what I Do for Love from A Chorus Line, Alex Molly, and uh, this Janae Ayoko China Smoke song. So what is your number one song? And it doesn't have to be like the greatest song, but at least one that tells a big story for you. What would that be? Okay, so um, I don't know. Like, I feel like in, I like came into my own like as an artist and like stopped being just like grateful for like the bare minimum for people like recognizing that like I'm an artist and that like I might be valuable to work with and like got over like that pick me era of my artistry career and I the pick me era of my artistry (laughs) career I love that (laughs) just hire me please pick me love me (laughs) give me a chance to eat (laughs) (laughs) I have like gotten over that and like there was just like a lot of moments where like I've noticed that like I was mistreated and I like have started like standing up for myself more and not letting people like talk to me like any kind of way or like take me for granted and um so this song is sort of like um about like you know like it's a positive losing it's called lose my cool and it's like sometimes anger can be positive like maybe anger helps you get into your own sometimes anger can be helpful and it's by it's like a remix with amber mark let me look at the other friend Frank Moody, Frank with a C. <laughs> but yeah, this is a song. I like it. Okay, you so far are one of my favorite guests because you have introduced me to five new songs. I think I know everything and I did not know, well actually not, I did know the one from A Chorus Line. Yeah. Uh, and then I did know the sample of the Mr. Vegas song, but I didn't know I knew these songs. So you tapped open something new for me. So like, I love that you love making playlists. What's like, when was the last time you made a playlist for someone that was like really special? Like, did you do it as like gifts for people or like for occasions like what makes you make a playlist uh honestly it's like a vibe that i'm feeling i don't really like make playlists for people but i make one for every script that i write like i'll like so like in my pitch deck there'll always be like a little playlist here and you can listen um but yeah probably my favorite place i ever made was called like elvis's bathroom and it's just like a bunch of like you know like country music singers from that time like Connie Francis and stuff like that. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like songs about like cocaine. Cause I was like, Elvis, like where he was found. Like, I was like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like shadow music, sad girl music. But it's like, you know, with that cool, like elvis twang that they were all copying. Oh, that is very, so you do them as combinations with the shows you write to kind of like set the vibe of them. Are, as writers, do you ever have any say in like the score of the music that goes on the show? Yes, the showrunner is like the creative director of the show and yeah, they get 
they can choose the music if they want to. It depends into them, like, how involved they want to be with, like, music choices. And, like, obviously, like, I feel like I would be hella involved. Like, I feel like I wouldn't even need a music supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> what TV show do you think has, like, the best soundtrack of all time? Like, which television show do you think, like, the music just fit the moments perfectly and it just sticks in your mind? Girls had a great soundtrack. Insecure also has a great soundtrack. I was hoping you'd say Insecure. I subscribe at the beginning, like the first episode of every season, I subscribe to the playlist because it's always so good. Yeah, both of those shows, I like always comb all their playlists for everything. Yeah, I feel like music is so important in like coming of age shows. So like if you're the main character of your own story, what song is playing when you wake up every day? Oh my God, probably like Katy Perry, like Teenage Dream or like California Girls, honestly. California girls, like it's just playing on their pee as they wake up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, I'm just imagining you just like happily brushing your teeth and then walking out of the door, like just ready to live every day. I love that. Yeah, put on a cute, slutty outfit, <laughs> take a selfie, like <laughs> that's me. I love music soundtracks. I will say though, I hate how lazy shows get sometimes. Do you remember that little period? I feel like, in 2016 and 2017, every single show, maybe, no, maybe not 2016, it was a little early. 2017, 2018, every single show had Lizzo good as hell in the promo, in one scene. It made me dislike Lizzo. Like, I had to take a break and then go, oh, this is actually great. It's just the uh, quirky comedies about white ladies made me hate this shit. <laughs> yeah, it was like old music too from her like a song that she had released like two years before then too yeah that was a crazy i was actually almost her assistant and like it was like right before like that moment whatever and everyone was just like she's gonna blow up and i was like i don't know if she's gonna blow up whatever like you need to pay me like full time like you can't pay me part time i don't care if she's gonna blow up <laughs> and so like I went to the interview and like I met her but I wasn't like into it because I was, I was like they're gonna pay me part-time they're like oh she's gonna blow up <laughs> like I could have been her assistant I came so strong because I didn't care <laughs> I mean is it, is it wouldn't, wouldn't being a celebrity assistant have eaten up a lot of your time though like how much of your own work could you have been able to do none of it yeah they were like tripping I was like can't I like work another job and they were like no we need you on the clock for her. And I'm like, but y'all aren't paying me full time. How am I going to be on the clock? <laughs> that is wild. Every All I know about assisting comes from like the Devil Wears Prada and it all looks so intense. It just all looks like too much. Being an assistant isn't that intense if you're like um, working in like, you know, actually I'm going to take that back. Being an assistant's intense in any like aspect. <laughs> I've been like all types of sorts of assistants because um, I would like temp on the Fox lot whenever I was in between shows as an assistant. So when I wasn't on a TV show, I'd be like temping on like some higher level execs desk. And that was always like really interesting to do. And I always found those jobs chill, but it was like low stakes for me because I didn't want them. But like, I feel like if you wanted that kind of job, it would be like harder. But you like have to dress up and like know people's coffee orders and like, there's a lot of like bells and whistles when it comes to doing that sort of assistant and like being in a writer's room where you're just like getting people LaCroix and sitting in the room and listening to them pitch. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more chill. <laughs> <laughs> 
That sounds like such a dream job and a dream life. Well, I loved all of the songs that you presented to me. Super excited that I have new stuff to listen to. Like, uh, usually, usually I don't walk away with so much to like gain from this. I'm really excited. Um, so thank you for breaking down all of these songs for me and telling me a little bit about yourself and your story. Now, I know that you are on all of the socials. If we've got guests who are like, I thought she was so funny and so cool. I want to know more about her. Where would we find you? Um, I'm at The Witty Girl on all social media. So just find me at The Witty Girl. The Witty Girl. So you're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all of the things. Um, it's so fun to have you on the podcast. Is there anything exciting that you want to just like put out there so we know that you got a project coming up that we should be looking out for? Um, I recently produced like a pilot about this psychic that scams white women to being less racist. It's called Crystal and Chelsea. You can check it out on all social media. It's just Crystal and Chelsea. That is a hilarious idea. I I have so much to watch. I have so much to listen to. You've given me so much. Thank you again for doing this. So happy to have you on here. Thanks for agreeing to do it. Um, for everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in to Rhythm and Bay Podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Rhythm and Bay Podcast. Actually, the podcast is Bay and Rhythm it's a whole thing. Anyways, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, and join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Rhythm and Bay Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jasmine Ellis. You can find me in all the things at Jasmine Ellis Comedy. Thank you. Mm-hmm.